I'm Dan Kimbrough, and this is Systemic, a podcast about race. I'm a diversity and inclusion advocate and trainer, educator, trained conflict mediator, and media producer with over 20 years of community building and diversity experience. From local communities to university campuses to corporate trainings, I've used my voice to bring people together and better understand each other. I'm also a black man and father. Each episode of Systemic will explore new aspects of race and racism in America. We will look at where we've been, how we got here, how it affects us today, and how we can move forward. The aim is to educate and explain the intertwining of race as a systemic part of American history and culture. We hope that each episode enlightens and drives you to help work towards an anti-racist future. Critical race theory. It's quite funny, actually. I was just talking with an upcoming podcast guest about other episodes that I had down the line and mentioned that one of them was, in fact, critical race theory. And they just yell, the truth? I was like, what? The truth? Oh, yeah, the truth. And that's the weird thing about an episode on critical race theory. It should be pretty short. Critical race theory is the honest telling of America's history and the context of how we got here. And without that honest telling, in context, people are led astray. The short answer to why critical race theory is important is, it's the truth. Right now, we have a whitewashed, westernized version of events in our schools. We all know the saying, winners write history. Well, winning isn't an indication of right, or wrong, or moral truth. It says nothing to justice and equity. It just means that you won something. And if we're being honest, the colonizers of this land didn't win anything. They lied. They stole. They brought disease. They enslaved people. They built their wealth on the literal backs of the indigenous population and those they enslaved. So winning, winning as an indicator of right or an indicator of an accurate portrayal of events means nothing. It means you won. But again, this wasn't a fair fight. So there was no winning. There was no fight. So when we talk about critical race theory, the short answer again is that it's the true telling of American history. And that truth is scary. Another saying is that knowledge is power. And the power of the truth is why many don't want critical race theory in schools. They don't want children to grow up knowing what America did to get where it is and that it's still doing it to this day. And part of that is for the fear that the truth will be unsettling. And I think that's the fear. Knowing the truth is going to lay waste to the sense of unwavering and unquestioning national pride for future generations. I don't think national pride is going anywhere, and I don't think it should. But I think what will happen is that national pride will come under a new lens. One that doesn't blindly accept America as always right. And old power, I'm convinced, is afraid of that new lens. So with that said, let's get into what critical race theory is and why it's being attacked. In September of 2020, in what may be one of the most discreet acts from a boisterous and over-the-top executive-in-chief, an executive directive was issued from the Office of Management and Budget, and it read, quote, It has come to the president's attention that the executive branch agencies have spent millions of taxpayer dollars to date training government workers to believe divisive, anti-American propaganda. For example, 
According to press reports, employees across the executive branch have been required to attend trainings where they are told that virtually all white people contribute to racism, or they have been required to say that they benefit from racism. According to press reports, in some cases, these trainings have claimed that there is racism embedded in the belief that America is the land of opportunity or the belief that the most qualified person should receive a job. These types of trainings not only run counter to the fundamental beliefs for which our nation has stood since its inception, but they also engender division and resentment within the federal workforce. The divisive, false, and demeaning propaganda of the critical race theory movement is contrary to what we all stand for as Americans and should have no place in the federal government. The report goes on to say, all agencies are directed to begin to identify all contracts or other agency spending related to the training of critical race theory, white privilege, or any training or propaganda effort that teaches or suggests either one, the United States is inherently racist or an evil country, or two, that any race or ethnicity is inherently evil. End quote. And with that began the war on critical race theory. You know, like the war on Christmas because Starbucks chose to use red cups over Christmas cups. One of those wars that's meant to rally the moral right around a non-issue, but with more power and impact. As one New York Times article explains, quote, critical race theory doesn't diagnose the country as evil, even though it is beyond dispute that some evil people design the architecture of racial oppression in this country and that there are still some who wish to maintain it, end quote. Born in the 1970s amongst legal scholars, critical race theory uses race as a lens through which it examines the structure of power. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, it's an intellectual movement and loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not a natural, biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of human beings, but a social construct category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. And for the most part, it was a relatively obscure concept, not because there was anything wrong with it, but because it's so new. By textbook definition, yes. Critical race theory operates under the notion that the law and legal institutions of the United States are inherently racist and that they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequities between whites and non-whites, especially African Americans. If you've listened to previous episodes of Systemic, I've discussed how race became the deciding factor in slavery, that over time, the colonies and then the government used race to continually oppress and discriminate against African Americans. And the more you listen, you'll hear about how it's used against other races as well. So yes, the U.S. is, by the nature of power and policies, racist, and it has been since the first colonists arrived. Also, race is a social construct. While differences truly exist ethnically and culturally and are physical and natural, race is a social construct created by societies. A person being black or white has no actual bearing on them biologically or physically. This is because those two constructs cover vast ethnic and cultural groups. Think of it this way. Your DNA test doesn't tell you what race you are because it can't. Race isn't a genetic marker. The test can tell you what regions your family come from and the traits of those individuals and ethnicities. 
Someone with a dominant French background and someone with a dominant Swedish background are both white, but there are specific differences ethnically between someone French and Swedish. And if either of them have any African ancestry, well, we'll talk about the one drop rule in another episode. The only function of race is to divide, oppress, and exploit. The problem is that we can't just stop talking about race and think that we can fix the problem by ignoring it. Our systems, policies, and laws are built on race and have to be undone before we can quote-unquote stop talking about race. Given that race was constructed and its only purpose is oppression and exploitation, any laws or policies that create barriers or give advantages based on the power structure race provides are racist in design. In America, racism, as stated numerous times before, works in the favor of white people and against persons of color. Given that white Americans are the dominant power group, white people benefit from the power structures race and stereotypes provide. Conversely, persons of color are hurt and discriminated against based on race and stereotypes. The hurdles placed on and in communities of color to achieve the same sense of normalcy and equity as their white counterparts is immense and based on nothing else than their socially constructed status of the perceived otherness because of the power dynamics of race. This is white privilege, and we can see the same thing when looking at gender or sexual orientation. So, to the executive directive, critical race theory does explore the inherent racism in American history and policy, and it does teach that the construct of race gives an advantage to white Americans, and that's a good thing. Because for us to get to the point where we can stop talking about race, we have to first start honestly talking about race and racism. We have to explore how race has affected laws and policies, how actual racist individuals in positions of power have used that power to continue to oppress persons of color. We have to fully understand how intertwined race is in America. Understand that when people talk about the American dream, there were people whose families built the White House, worked in the rice and cotton fields that gave America its financial power, and that created the railroads that led to industry and the growth of this country and weren't considered citizens. So that dream was never meant for them. We have to understand that the expansive and rapid growth of this land from a few rebellious colonies to a world leader came at the expense of hundreds of indigenous tribes and civilizations that were brought to the brink of extinction. Critical race theory is the difficult conversation we need to have as a nation, in our homes, workplaces, friend groups, and most importantly, schools. Understanding the true nature of American history allows for everyone to have a full, clear image. It will lessen divides because we're all learning the same history, actual history, in full context. It will allow us to understand how systems of inequity exist, how they were created, and better prepare us to remove them. We are living in a time when many people are finally willing to dig deep and understand bias and discrimination. Understand that persons of color live a very different life because of systemic racism and finally attempt to work towards an anti-racist society. But we have to be able to educate them on what's wrong and how it interconnects all of our lives. 
Persons of color in this country live through racism and discrimination every day. We see America as it is, not as it professes to be. Because of this, yes, it comes off as harsher when we lead sessions and training. Yes, yes, you feel uncomfortable and a sense of unease when you understand that the all-white neighborhood and community you grew up in was created by design, not just out of achievement, that redlining kept black people out. Understanding that while you may not be rich or see yourself as privileged, being white has afforded you some luxury and passes persons of color don't get. To white Americans, learning about the blind spots in your education and upbringing that shielded you from the everyday horrors and traumas of persons of color in a way that holds you accountable for change feels like an unnecessary assault. And while necessary, it's not an assault. It's a chance to do better, a chance to actually see America and be part of making it a better place for everyone, a chance to unlearn the lies we were all taught and actually see the worth in people. This leads to one of the biggest arguments against the idea of critical race theory, that its goal is to make white Americans feel guilty about America's past and hold them responsible for what happened. And that couldn't be further from the truth. The goal is to educate all Americans about the role that race has played in creating division, oppression, and discrimination in this country. To tell the whole truth about American history, including the role that all races played, good or bad, so that we can finally begin working together to make changes and move all Americans forward. To do that, we have to face the ugly truths. We have to learn what was done, by whom, and the impact. You can't dismantle something if you don't understand all the parts and the role they play. That's what critical race theory aims to do. And that means telling the ugly truths that have been hidden and kept out of our education. Feeling bad when you learn about the atrocities inflicted on persons of color in our history isn't a bad thing. It's called empathy. And with that, we can begin to actually heal our country's wounds. As it stands, there are large swaths of the white population that don't understand or know what was actually done to indigenous and enslaved populations. And if I'm being honest, most persons of color don't understand their own history or that of other POC populations because those histories and atrocities were suppressed to help tell a whitewashed version of American history that plays down the truth. Critical race theory helps us all understand and feel connected to one another. Sometimes it'll be a feeling of joy and sometimes it'll be feelings of shame. But these feelings can give us the power to make true inroads in ending systemic racism on all fronts. Another argument against critical race theory is that children are too young to learn about racism. Whose children? Because if you're a person of color, your kids are always learning about race and racism. As parents of color, we are continuously having to have discussions about race, America, and history. We are consistently rewriting the narratives of the American educational system to make sure our children know the truth about their people and themselves. Recently, my son asked who the Red Tails were while watching an episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We had a discussion about the Tuskegee Airmen, Tuskegee University, and the barriers these men broke. But we also had a discussion about the segregation of that time. He understands Jim Crow laws, segregation, and the fact that in a country that considers military service a high honor, coming home and coming back to racism and discrimination. He understands that these men fought for and defended a country that wouldn't and still don't defend them. He's 10. 
So why can't his white classmates learn the same and have these discussions? No one is blaming the kids for what happened or expecting them to feel ashamed. What we would be doing is providing context about the fact that even military service doesn't protect people of color from discrimination and racism. That's the truth, the whole ugly truth, and it's important. We can't celebrate Roy Matsumoto's work in military intelligence without acknowledging that his family and thousands of other Japanese Americans faced internment simply because of their ethnicity. By not placing the lens of race and ethnicity in American history, you're literally whitewashing the past and lying, whether by omission or intentionally. Recently, we've been learning about the residential schools in Canada and America that served to civilize, quote-unquote, barbarian children, and if it didn't work, they would kill them. It's because we were lied to about the noble intentions of the settlers, read colonizers, and the brutal and primitive ways of the savage Indians. Not about the existing tribes that had their own cultures, customs, and ways to live in harmony with the land. There were languages, rituals, and understandings that were lost when the colonizers decided to forcibly remove them from their land. And when you understand that and look at the issues within indigenous populations and the concerns they are still fighting for today, you can see how it's connected. That's how we understand the present and the impact actual history had on it. That's critical race theory. Another argument against critical race theory is that it leads to anti-racism as an approach to education, which some believes would actually hurt students of color. I know. Let me explain. The argument states that while, yes, opportunities and quality of education afforded to white children does differ from students of color, the answer isn't tweaking education. It's just having a higher bar of education for all students. If we work the kids harder, equally, and give all schools the same resources, all children should achieve at the same rate. Standard achievement tests should even out over time. Sounds good, right? Wrong. While cute, this ignores the larger landscape of systemic racism that affects students of color and the research that has shown time and time again that achievement tests in their creation and design are in fact bias. The deviation in achievement doesn't come from student preparedness, though this is an issue as well, it comes from the test. The institution of education is where the standard needs to be checked. In an article from the Fordham Institute, they try to argue that colorblindness was the goal of Martin Luther King Jr. and that if we remove race from the classroom, we can achieve his dream. The problem is that this is a short-sighted view that ignores all the work of Martin Luther King Jr. At every turn, MLK showed how poverty and racism affected the lives of African Americans and others and their daily pursuits of equality. That, until the system of racism is torn down in America, we can't actually reach that promised land. MLK's methods were to use actual race and poverty as a lens to shape the civil rights movement. His work was to move us towards an anti-racist society through critical race theory before the term was actually coined. The Fordham article, and others like it, go on to link anti-racism in schools as the problem for low test scores amongst students of color. The argument being that if we hold the test accountable, our only options are A, to throw out the test, or B, lower the standards of the test. The former is something no one wants. Throwing out the test, as stated by many civic groups, 
including the NAACP, the National Urban League, and others, would only serve to hide the achievement gap. That's not what is wanted. The achievement gap serves to show the failing of the educational system and the impact systemic racism has. The test must stay. The second option would be to lower the standard of the test, thus making student of color scores look higher. Again, something no one wants. No one is asking for a free pass or to lower the standards. The goal is to examine the standard, who created it, and who it serves. Here's a real-world example. Thomas Jefferson once asked scientists to provide proof that the Negro was mentally inferior to white men. Not if, but to provide proof. So they did, and it was accepted as the truth. No one examined the motives or the methods. They just accepted the results. This argument about applying critical race theory to education and working towards anti-racism in the classroom, when laid out in this binary method, seems convincing. The problem is that it overlooks the actual goals. If the tests show bias, either the test is wrong or something is wrong with the test taker. For years, we've operated under the assumption that the test is correct and that students of color have been the problem. What if we rework the test without lowering the standards of education? As it stands, the Western white standard of education is the bar. If we decolonize education and take the focus off of white is right and re-examine how we are teaching and testing, we can become anti-racist and level the field for all students. That's not lowering the standard. That's examining who decided what the standard is and how we accepted it. And if it's flawed, fixing it. By removing the trope of good white people and bad black and brown people from how we see history and using critical race theory to view what happened, how it happened, to whom it happened, and why it happened, we can begin to tell the truth to everyone and work together collectively to move past racism. There's a fear that in an educational setting, this approach will lead to white students feeling uncomfortable about the past actions of their ancestors. We learn through cognitive dissonance. Being made uncomfortable and questioning how we see the world around us is how we develop as babies and toddlers. It's how we learn from day one. Most children of color feel uncomfortable throughout their educational process for a myriad of reasons. And if you think I'm going to say black kids are uncomfortable, so why can't white kids be uncomfortable too? You're wrong. The reason many students of color are uncomfortable when we quote unquote teach history is that we teach it separate from the present. We teach slavery ended with emancipation. The KKK popped up for a bit, but they were defeated by a civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. And if you went to a semi-decent school, you may have covered some Jim Crow laws, but that's it. Which means that the problems of current black America are self-inflicted because there's no connection to the past. And for white students, since it's all in the past, why even pay attention or care? It's not their history. But if we teach actual history in context, we can start to connect the dots. What if we talked about the fact that not all settlers were bad, but the methods they adopted almost led to genocide? What if we talked about the fact that not all settlers were bad, but the methods they adopted almost led to genocide? What if we discussed that slavery existed before the transatlantic slave trade and that there were white slaves on some of those ships, but that the government systematically made slavery about race? What if we thought that the North wasn't as innocent as it was made out to be? 
Imagine teaching that Asian Americans, indigenous people, the Latinx community, and other communities of color have all heavily contributed to the growth of this country and have also suffered at its hands. White Americans have always had advantages. And guess what? Quite a few over history have tried to use their privilege for good. There are a lot of atrocities that have occurred in the name of race in this country. And if we openly discuss them together and learn our shared history, the uncomfortableness that will inevitably arise will be one that leads to learning and understanding. Imagine a generation of students who know the good, bad, and ugly of America. They can connect the dots and, from a starting point of an equal understanding, begin to work together to tear down the system that separates us. That's the goal of critical race theory, and that's why it's important. Thank you for listening to Systemic. This podcast aims to create a community of change and can only do so through your support. Please make sure you subscribe and follow wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you would, head over to Apple Podcasts to rate and leave a review. The more you share and review Systemic, the more our community of change can grow. Another way you can help is supporting Systemic on Patreon. Your contributions will allow the podcast to expand and give you the opportunity to support Systemic offline. Thank you again for listening and your support. Systemic is a production and passion of Park Multimedia. And remember, to solve any problem, you must first acknowledge it exists.